Today on Vernacular, we are announcing and launching a three-episode collaboration with the Center for Public Justice. The Center for Public Justice, or CPJ, is an independent, nonpartisan organization devoted to policy research and civic education. Working outside the familiar categories of right and left, conservative and liberal, CPJ seeks to help citizens and public office holders achieve justice. Last year, CPJ launched the Families Valued Initiative, a project that promotes organizational and public policies that better support family life and respect the family responsibilities of all workers. In this collaboration between the Vernacular Podcast Network and the Center for Public Justice, we're teaming up with the people behind the Families Valued Initiative to talk about the struggles that modern families face and to learn how we can better support families through private enterprise, charitable initiatives, and public policy. Supporting today's families is a bipartisan imperative. According to 2018 data from the U.S. Census Bureau, Americans are waiting longer than ever to get married, yet delaying marriage has done nothing to drive down divorce rates. Marriage rates have declined over the past three decades, while divorce rates have steadily risen. And while marriage faces challenges of permanence, married couples are having fewer children. In a 2013 survey by Pew, only 49% of people listed having kids as a main reason for getting married. A summer 2018 Pew survey found that 71% of parents under 50 described themselves as not likely to have kids or more kids. And yet, despite these symptoms of pressure, today's families overwhelmingly describe family as the primary source of meaning in their life. In a 2017 survey, 69% of adults listed family as a source of meaning in their life, more than double the amount of the next highest answer, career. This is why it's important for us to find ways to support families. We shouldn't have an economy that makes it necessary for 82% of parents to work outside of the home. We shouldn't have to fight for paid parental leave at a majority of private companies. And we shouldn't make quality health care a luxury that parents can't afford for their children. We need churches, employers, community organizations, courts, and legislatures to support the family at all stages of life. And that's why we're happy to announce this collaboration with CPJ's Families Valued Initiative. For more information or to join the discussion, reach out to us at Zach and Sally at vernacularpodcast.com, head to vernacularpodcast.com, or visit familiesvalued.org. Enjoy the show. All right, so joining us to kick off this collaboration is Chelsea Maxwell, who is a program associate for the Center for Public Justice, excuse me, uh, working on the Families Valued Initiative. Chelsea is a social worker by training. She has a bachelor's of social work from Dort College and a master's of social work from the University of Pennsylvania. She is um, working primarily on the Families Valued program right now, but she has some on-the-ground experience as well as a community engagement coordinator at an Iowa food bank, so she's intimately familiar with some of the challenges that modern American families face, and we're really excited to hear from her more about that today. So Chelsea, first of all, welcome to Vernacular Podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We are too. We're really glad to have you, and I think we'll just let you tell us some stories here. So I think the first question we have is, what can you tell us about the challenges that American families face today? Yeah, you know, the first thing I'll say is I was just looking at a study from Pew from 2015 today, and um, like the top line result from that is that there is no one dominant form of family in the U.S. anymore today. Um, so part of that is, you know, we have divorce on the rise. We have more single parents. Um, we also have um, more kinship relationships, so grandparents raising children, um, and um, more multi-generational families. So families in general are just going through a really big shift, and they're stressed and they're struggling as a result because um, work and family life is really in conflict right now. Well, I know you've done a lot of work with the Families Valued Initiative, talking to families and hearing 
firsthand about some of their experiences. Yeah. So uh, I, I know I was looking at the Families Valued website earlier today, actually, and seeing an interview that you did with a subject just about the challenges she faces. So can you share with us some of your stories that yeah. you've heard firsthand from these families who are struggling to make ends meet uh, in today's economy slash culture slash whatever it is? Yeah. So um, one young woman I talked with, um, her name's Krista. She's, she has the best smile in the world. Um, and she is the single mother of two twin girls. They're both two. And she, um, Krista is one of um, the the 25% of undergraduate students who are also parents. So she's a student full-time. And, you know, I, she comes to mind first because, um, you know, her kids were unexpected. She, she had a decent job and um, was making a good living, um, wasn't, you know, happy in her relationship and, um, you know, found out she was pregnant and she, she told me she was happy and then, and scared and then happy again. And then when she found out she was having twins, it was like oh my double scared and doubled happy. Um, but she, you know, the becoming, um, a mother helped her realize that she was in a really unhealthy relationship with, with the twins dad. Um, and she actually ended up needing to get a protection of from abuse order, um, for herself. Um, but you know, she, she's flourishing today. And a lot of that has to do with the supports, the community supports she had. Um, so, um, like I said, Krista, like had a really great job. Um, I think she was a certified medical assistant and a certified dialysis technician. Um, so what that meant when she was pregnant was that she felt like she she was worried about um, jeopardizing the health of her her unborn daughters. Um, she put in her two weeks when she found out she was pregnant to protect them. She didn't want that the environment she was working in um, to threaten the safety of her of her daughters. Um, I mean, she was around blood and needles and patients with HIV, AIDS, and um, you know other risky diseases, um, and then you know, having the daughters really inspired her to want to go back to school. So she started college when her babies were six months old. Um, and like I said, they're two now. And so, you know, being a, a full-time college student, a full-time mother has really shaped her life. But she she's really fortunate in that um, she has a mom who really um, stepped up to help her, um, stepped into her life and helped make the mortgage payments um, and helped take care of her daughter um, her granddaughters, um, provided some free childcare and, um, also right down the street from Krista's house is this amazing organization called Angel's Place. And, um, they provide free services to student parents, um, and to student parents, they provide wraparound parental support as well as free childcare. And it's high quality early education child care. So her daughters um, are safe and they're being fed and they're, and Krista herself is learning about their nutrition and she's volunteering with the facility. Um, and she just always knows her daughters are safe when she's off campus. But you know, I really wanted to take the time to get to know um, Krista and hear her, the barriers she's facing. Because although she has all these protective factors and things working in her favor. She's also really stressed and she's tired, um, understandably, as a single mother of twin two-year-olds. Who's um, in school, no less. 
yes, who is in school full time? <laughs> and, um, you know, the one of the biggest things that she talked about was uh, lack of transportation. And now Krista's living in a city. So it's a very urban area. Um, I mean, there there is a bus stop right down the street from her. But she was describing to me how hard it is just to even, like, go grocery shopping. She has to make sure her girls are in childcare or that someone's with them. And then she has to plan ahead, which, you know, how many groceries are she's going to get. And that's based on whether or not she has money for a lift when she gets right. like after, after shopping. So she takes the bus to the grocery store. And then when she's trying to figure out how she's going to get home, um, you know, that, you know, trying to figure that out. And so, um, you know, she's worried about whether or not her book bag will rip when she's walking up the hill towards her house. And she's struggling to, she struggles to try to decide when to take her daughters into the doctor's office because that requires her finding someone else in her support system who has a car to like help her get there. Because she, I mean, she has, so far has been able to avoid taking both of her daughters on the bus at the same time, but it's like an impossible feat. Oh, definitely. Um, so things like, tr- and the thing is, is it doesn't matter where, if you're, if I'm talking with rural families or urban families, transportation is a massive issue for a lot of our families. And that's getting to work, getting to school. Um, and, you know, if something breaks down, being able to fix it, um, there's just, I mean, it's, it's a really, um, you know, it's, it's a problem that. I think is invisible to a lot of people. Yeah, and there are but, f- there are yeah. a few other things that jumped out to me from from the story that you've told so far. I think one of them is the way she was able to lean on her mother for assistance. So there's there's intergenerational linkages that are really mm-hmm. important as we as we look to promote flourishing families. And yeah. then there's the the breakdown of her romantic relationship, uh, and obviously she doesn't have someone to help her co-parent her children, and that's devastating to her family. So we see the the importance of maintaining good, healthy relationships between parents. And then the importance also of community centers like like Angel's Place to help people like Krista. And you mentioned it a little bit, but just in, in the context of the doctor's office, I'm not sure what Krista's health insurance or health care situation mm-hmm. is, but obviously that's a very important thing, People that people have access to good quality health care. Or like you mentioned through Angel's Place, even just access to good nutritional information and education so that they can be healthy and stay healthy. And then the transportation issue is a big one as well. And I think um, in, in a couple of episodes, when we talk more specifically about policy prescriptions and ideas to help families, you know, what, you know, why aren't there more Uber and Lyft subsidies out there? I mean, we're, we're, uh, we, we don't have, in the United States, we don't have many city economies that have uh, sparklingly efficient urban transportation. And we've lived in, mm-hmm. in cities in England that do, so we sort of see how it can be done. But it's not done that way in in America, and yet we also are leading the way on other more innovative forms of transportation. So how can we how can we create policy to help enable the innovation that we do have to support existing family structures and strengthen them? I think one incredible Absolutely. aspect of her story too is her choice to have her daughters and not to abort them. Um, mm-hmm. I think that given all the challenges that she was facing at that time and continued to face after they were born, that could have been an easy choice. And in your report, you highlight the story of Amy who decided that she couldn't afford to have her child. And I think that would with, without even those basic supports structures that she, that Krista did have, I think it would be easy for a woman in another situation to make a different choice. Yeah. I think that's a really good point as well, because 
Uh, and Chelsea, just for your background, we've been very upfront on our podcast about how pro-life we are in the context of the abortion debate. But we also mm-hmm. have talked about how very often the abortion debate gets wrapped up in in a conversation entirely about the rights of the baby in the womb. And we forget that the original question is about the the welfare of the woman and how equipped she is to handle uh, raising a child. And if we don't have the structures in place to help her do that, then she can feel like she doesn't have a choice. Then she can feel like she doesn't mm-hmm. have a choice. Exactly. And she pursues the abortion because she, not because she wants to abort her baby. I mean, I think the, the person who wants to abort their baby uh, is, is few and far between. I think most of the time it's someone who feels like they don't have a choice or they're really not ready to parent because they don't have all the support structures in place that they need to. So um, right. Chris's story and others like hers make me think that we really need to think carefully about how we can craft policy to support women and families more broadly but women are obviously a key piece um, in the task of raising a family. Absolutely. And, you know, um, 40% of Americans can't cover a $400 emergency expense. So you find out you're pregnant. And I mean, if financially, if most pe- if a good chunk of people aren't prepared for $400, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure kids cost more than $400. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um, and like, yeah. So, um, I mean, we're like, I mean, the financial stability for um, for these families is really important, um, and we need to make sure that um, community and you know our church communities, um, as well as government and extended family when it's available, are all like available and ha- are able to step in in ways that still respect the integrity of that family. So something CPJ is really um, thoughtful about is. Um, the roles and responsibilities of different areas of life. So um, we acknowledge that government has a good role and it's a limited role. Um, You know, government can't read you bedtime stories. It can't sit with you every night of sixth grade while you cry over your math homework. And on the same on the other hand, you know, your workplace can't hold you after throwing up from your chemo treatments. These are things families do. um, And they're things that communities and, and churches can help with. But families have a very unique responsibility. Um, and that's something that um, at Families Valued, we really try to highlight. Um, I also want to share the story of Candace. She had um, her first child and then she found out she was having her second and she went into planning mode. Like this was, she was ready for it. Her and her husband had, you know, it was very intentional. Um, and um they in their planning, they recognized that um, her husband had paid family leave through his work. Um, so, I mean, they were just they were just ready for it. What they weren't ready for was Candace's mom um, deteriorating oh, no. um, during the pregnancy, and it came to a point that while Candace was waiting um, to have her child, her mom was waiting for a heart transplant. Um, and they were across the state. I mean, um, I can't imagine the emotional weight she was carrying. Um, thankfully, she had a healthy baby boy, and her mom also pulled through. But during that time, like her husband's paid leave was incredibly important. You know, he was in action mode. He was organizing meals and shuttling back and forth from the hospital to take care of their their old, eldest. Um, they, you know, he was the one sitting with her, Candace, when she needed to cry and bringing updates on um, her mom's improvement. 
and he was really the one holding that family together, giving Candace the space she needed to like grieve and worry and also get to know her new child and, you know, figure out nursing and, and bond with him. Um, so it, paid leave was just really instrumental in that time period. Um, and it gave them space to celebrate their son and, and care for their family. Um, and, you know, he wasn't worried about job security and he wasn't worried about the next paycheck. Like they, I mean, it was like work and work was really respecting their family life, um, which That's is really fantastic. rare. Um, low income families or low wage workers in particular have very limited access to these kinds of benefits, paid family leave, paid vacation days, paid sick days. Like these are not guaranteed for all workers and for all families. Well, it's great that he had that. And I, 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 I think that we are having a good national conversation about the importance of paid parental leave. Um, I think we're not quite there yet, but that does lead me to the next question I have for you, which is, and this is sort of to set us up for a segue into our second episode, continuing this collaboration. But I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the, the evolving cultural and economic context in which we have these challenges. So we've heard, mm-hmm. we've heard the stories of some of the people, um, in what ways are our views or are the cultural or economic expectations on families shifting and how has that specifically burdened families? Um, yeah. So as I mentioned er, uh, in the beginning, um, you know, family life is changing. What it means to be a family is a little different than it was. And, um, you know, part of that is a cultural context. Part of that is a response to a national emergency. So grandparents raising their children, I think there's like 2.5 million grandparents who are raising their grandchildren. And most of them are because they're children of the opioid, opioid crisis. Right, right. So their parents are either in a like addicted to something, incarcerated or dead. That's so sad. So and I have to yeah. say, I mean, as a, as a young parent who often finds myself completely exhausted at the end of the day, I really can't imagine being a grandparent, a grandparent and yeah, being the right. primary caregiver to for that kind your of grandchild. And yeah, that's, that's an incredible amount of stress and an incredible burden to place on grandparents. And I'm sure that, that most of them are happy to do it, but that's not how it's supposed to be. Right. Absolutely not. And it also kind of goes in and you have to start to think about what does it mean to flourish um, as an aging adult? And there's health concerns there. And what happens to these children when their grandparents pass away in the middle of their youth as well? Um, Like these are all just concerns that we haven't really been able to grapple with as a society because we're kind of figuring this out as we go along. Um, It's things that are just happening. But, um, you know, only 35% of married couples with children have at least three months of liquid savings. So it's not like every family is prepared to take off their, like if something happens, they're prepared to say, you know what, sorry, like I'm gonna, you know, have to step away from the workplace for a couple months. They're just not able to do that. Now there is one federal uh, law that is in place that helps protect some workers' times and that's the Family Medical Leave Act. But the important thing to know about that legislation is that it's unpaid. It is job protected, which is so important. It's 12 weeks of job protected unpaid leave. If you, the employee has to have worked at that organization for um, 12 months and um, the employer has to have at least 50 employees. So 
there's a lot of um, there are a lot of gaps then for who's covered. Um, so you know any worker who's working in a small business right mostly doesn't not necessarily covered. have access to unpaid leave. Well, anecdotally, I, I also know that a, a lot of these government programs make it very hard to actually receive the coverage reimbursement that you are entitled to. You may be legally entitled to it, but there are many hoops to jump through to get that. Um, I know from personal experience, uh, well, filing on behalf of someone else, but helping to file a Department of Labor, um, you know, inju- injury in the line of employment claim, and it's very difficult to do. Um, you know, using uh, using multiple uh, pieces of the claim that have to be submitted through fax, and you know, in in in, mm-hmm. in concert with telephone coordination and a back and forth uh, coordination process. Very, very complicated. And if you're already in a time of stress right. with your family, then it's you hard to, to do that. Do that as well. Yeah. So perhaps this goes to your point about how how government is good for some things, but not for all. There, there's probably a lot of room for for civil society and churches and employers to step in and fill the gap there. Absolutely, and um, that's really what we're advocating for too. It, this is not um, families are too important for them to be left on their own or for us to say, government, you take care of it or church, you take care of it. You know, it's something that um, like all, all families are important and they have God given responsibilities and those responsibilities require time. And our current landscape doesn't protect that time. And so how can we reimagine our, our communities to better uphold the responsibilities of families? We're not saying, oh, the church can become your parent for you. So your parent can, you know, be working 80 hours a week, right. two minimum two minimum wage jobs, um, struggling to make it make ends meet. Um, and well, the church will take care of your kids, so it's all okay. Like, no, that's not okay. Because um, a parent, like, is meant to, you know, parent their child. Right, the paradigm um, is all wrong still. Absolutely, yes. So we need it. We need to be very careful about how we reimagine like these solutions, um, but also very aware that we all have a responsibility and a role to play. Well, that's very well said, Chelsea. And I want to appreciate, or I want to express our appreciation for you taking the time to talk to us about some stories that today's families are facing. To our listeners, if you want to hear more about this stuff, our next episode in this collaboration is going to talk about sources of stress on these families, and we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about the changing economic and cultural circumstances in which we find ourselves and specifically how the shift away from household-based economies has really hurt today's families. But Chelsea, I want to thank you so much for your time. Um, If our listeners want to find more uh, out about the work that you and your team are doing, how can they do that? Yeah, so please um, check us out at the Center for Public Justice. Um, So that's cpjustice.org. And our initiative is familiesvalue.org. I'd highly recommend... um, for anyone interested in hearing more stories to go to our website and look at our time to care series. We have been documenting some of these conversations and stories. Um, so that'll be a good precursor to your next episode. Great. Well, thank you so much, Chelsea. Thank you, and Chelsea. to our listeners, those sites that Chelsea just mentioned are all in the show notes. So if you'd like to check those out, uh, just go to the show notes and click the links there and it'll take you there. Um, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you and we'll, we look forward to continuing the conversation soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh,